0: Do we see you at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Beuzeau, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. An update with Robin and Christian of eAgonome, who are working with 1,500 grain farmers across 1 million hectares in Central and Eastern Europe. And they are starting to pay farmers for the carbon they capture. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet mattered, podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our membership community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits and how to become a member, check gumbrocom slash investing or find the link below. Thank you. Welcome to another episode. We have Robin and Christian back on the show. In October 2020, we had a long talk about how to partner with farmers and technology. And today they're back and we're going to talk about why they're focusing on carbon. So welcome Christian and Robin. Hello, hi! Ah, it's good to be back. For anybody that didn't listen to the other show, I will definitely put a link in the show notes below. But just Robin, in two three sentences, I mean, you've been pitching so often now that you for sure have memorized the best way to summarize e-agronome, But just for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, what is Eagronome? And then we get into the carbon, into your current round, and some updates. But what is a good a good introduction into what you've built over the last years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, e is number one farm management system in Central Eastern Europe. So farmers use this to plan, manage and analyze their activities. And based on this data, we also give advice to farmers, what crops to grow, what tasks to do, what fertilizers to use and so on. And the result of this is increased efficiency, so higher profits and actually also smaller carbon footprint. But what makes e special is that in some cases, instead of farmers paying to us, we are paying to farmers. So they're benefiting from our carbon program now
0: and get paid for capturing carbon from the atmosphere into the soil. That's super exciting. We're definitely going to unpack that, but just to give a flavor of what has happened since October, you've grown a lot. Like how many farmers are you working with right now? We're talking April, 2021, just to give an understanding of how many farmers and then of course the hectares that they represent.
2: Yeah, we have about one and a half thousand farms on platform. And um, they manage uh, across this fleet over a million hectares of grain land. We've recently expanded and made ourselves available also in uh, Australia. Uh, Our main markets uh, are here in Central Eastern Europe. Biggest one is uh, Poland. Estonia, obviously, where we're from as well. Latvia, we have some um, uh, clients also in Romania and Czech. And in October, we've grown about uh, 50% since, which is a good good growth season for us you know we can mostly recruit farmers when they are not on their fields and that's after harvest and uh, before spring so those have been a good five months for us
0: wow that's a a good amount of hectares and you're currently obviously this is not investment advice to anybody listening but i'm very interested in as the title of this podcast investing in regenerative agriculture and food you're currently raising a round can you explain share a bit more on that what you're looking for in terms of investors, what you're finding in the market, like how has those discussions over the last six months have gone? What are you seeing in the market in terms of investors that are getting, I think, at least we see on our side a lot more interest in the market, but maybe a lot of people are new to the space as well. So what has been your experience in this latest fundraising round that you are currently in the middle of?
1: Well, first of all, why do we need money right now at all?
0: That's a very good question to start with, Robin, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, we are number one player in Poland, Estonia, and Latvia. And besides this, we have some first customers. So we can't say we are in those markets, but we are ready to start scaling in those markets, in four other markets, including actually Australia. But mainly in Poland, Latvia, and Estonia, we have proved that the acronym model works quite well. So our annual customer value is higher than the customer acquisition cost. And uh, so we are efficient in recruiting new farmers to the platform. We are also upselling the digital advisory package and now bringing those farmers into carbon program. But uh, obviously those three markets are not enough for changing the agriculture in total. And that's why we need the financing as well to scale to new markets mainly actually the markets where we already have some customer base, but then also to bring carbon program to these farmers so that they can benefit from capturing more carbon into the soil, growing humus balances, reducing their own emissions, and et
0: cetera. We touched upon that carbon piece briefly last time. We mostly looked at how your platform and technology and software is helping to plan much better and work much more efficiently and effectively. To make sure that you don't get into, you don't rotate yourself into problems. I think we mentioned specifically last time, and I keep using that phrase, which is very interesting. But the carbon piece, I think, has shifted quite a bit or has, let's say, accelerated over the last months. Can you explain a bit? Everybody has seen probably the attention or the hype we're going up to in terms of soil carbon, but what is happening on the ground with customers, your farmers, and then potentially other customers that are buying the carbon, the soil carbon of you. What has been happening since October, since we last spoke?
1: Absolutely. Well, there are many ways how farmers can benefit from capturing carbon and reducing their emissions. And just to share the load, let me explain the first example that we call soil carbon, and then Christian can explain about carbon offset units. But uh, with soil carbon, we have managed to successfully reduce the rent, land rent of farmers who uh, capture carbon into the soil. As you probably know, then half of the land in Europe is not owned by farmers, but rented to farmers, 40% in uh, North America. So there are plenty of very big landowners who are long-term investors. And they want to make sure that their asset value is safe in the long term. Now, it's possible to farm in different ways. You can farm in a way that uh, you have more carbon and more humus in the soil every year, but you can also farm in a way that you have less carbon and humus in the soil every year. And based on this, after, well, 10 to 15 years, the land value will be different. If you capture more carbon in the soil, then you have more nutrients in the soil as well and the land value is higher.
0: Do you see that value already, that connection between let's say the health of the soil and the land value because that's a lot of discussion around it that, that maybe a lot of investors don't recognize that or a lot of landowners and thus there's a disconnect between what we see and what but you see you've been working with some landowners that do recognize that healthy soils is in there in their benefit
1: absolutely well the first landowner with whom we actually made this deal if they are valuing how much they're ready to pay for a new land that they are buying they're actually looking to they have a point system, and one of the attributes over there is how much humus or carbon, organic carbon, there is actually in the soil. And it makes sense. It really makes sense. And that's how we made a deal with them as well for their farmers, farmers who rent land from them. They actually have 14,000 hectares, but their farmers obviously have in, in total 80,000 hectares. So, farmers who land, uh, rent land from them. And they now give a smaller rent to farmers with positive humus balance. So farmers who capture more carbon from the atmosphere to the soil and higher rent for farmers who don't do it.
0: And you manage that program for them, for this landowner. And these farmers are clients of you as well. And how do you manage that? How do you measure that? Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com course or in the show notes description below. Yeah.
1: So over there we use models that are built by local scientists. Now, if we move more to the Christian, what Christian will explain later about carbon offset units and carbon offsetting, there they reduce soil samples as well. But models are okay for landowners for their internal use. If they trust the models enough, then they trust that, okay, if farmers are doing those activities, then their land quality in the future will be higher. So models for them are okay. But if we talk about producing carbon credits, then uh, soil measuring, you verify
0: models are very important as well. But in this case, basically, you're working with a large landowner and their farmers. And because you basically are the software for the farmers to manage their full operations, you know what they're doing or not doing in terms of plowing, not plowing, in terms of applying certain things, etc. And they pay a lower rent to the landowner if they apply certain things, which is a very interesting Oh, because of so longer term, it's interesting for them because of the cost. So there's a very interesting relationship there, a very interesting incentive structure that you have been able to build. And you see that because you did one, you see that being interesting for other, you see an interest from other landowners. Yeah,
1: we made this deal with the biggest landowner in Estonia and we are currently discussing with very big landlord in Poland as well. But in the end, as you said, everybody wins. So farmer gets to pay smaller land rent. And actually the farm gets more efficient as well, but that's a secondary benefit. Then a landowner gets to make sure that their asset value is safe in the long term. And then the gets both FMS fee and then verification fee from the landowner.
0: You get a small fee from both sides, which is very interesting. And then Christian to you, then there's the option to potentially sell these carbon credits with a few extra questions, obviously around measurement and around outcome, et cetera. What's been happening there?
2: Yeah, that opportunity is definitely there. But creating carbon credits in farming in itself is not even the the main goal. The main goal is to create an extra source of revenue for the farmer. And uh, if we we zoom out a bit, farming generally is capital intensive. So there's uh, high costs involved, but margins are not very high. And uh, unpredictability is increasing. So there are more and more years where surprises happen, extreme weather events, bad yields, low yields. So farmers uh, struggle a bit more than they used to. And uh, well, and on the other side, farming is a major source of greenhouse gas emissions globally. Then where the opportunity comes in is now on a global level, I think the awareness of climate change and the need to do something about it is growing There is Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, If you look around, many countries and large corporations have committed to become uh, net zero over the next 20 or 30 years and to significantly reduce their emissions and offset the rest. And farming is an opportunity because soils are a large carbon sink. So that's where we believe uh, farmers can come in and... While they continue doing what they uh, they, uh, they do, growing crops and uh, feeding the, uh, the people, we can also create an additional source of income here through uh, carbon offsets or carbon removal units. And uh, that's the path we've embarked on right now with uh, a small selection of farmers in uh, Estonia and uh, Poland. Uh, there's a few thousands of uh, hectares today uh, piloting based on our methodology. We... Um, follow FAO guidelines and um, Roth MC uh, soil sampling models. We also work with local uh, scientists to localize the models to uh, local conditions because soils are different and uh, weather conditions are different in each of the countries. So yeah, we do want to make sure we, we maintain high standards and, uh, and meet the uh, highest expectations in terms of uh, methodology, project requirements, and then how do we establish the baseline? How do we model the, uh, the outcomes and then verify the projected outcomes through soil testing regularly?
0: And how far are you in a sense? What's missing or where are you already at? Like, let's say a big buyer. I mean, one of the big ones that has mentioned or smaller ones that said, I'm going to be net positive by this year. So I need to offset or remove If they knock on the door, maybe they already have, like, what's the current status of the carbon selling project? Not necessarily the carbon modeling with the landowners, because they have a, I imagining, like Robin said, a, a lower, they need less and they need, anyway, they need longer term. But what's the current status of the carbon project and what's still, if something, what's still missing?
2: Yeah, right now we're working with large companies in our home country, Estonia, who wish to offset their remaining emissions And um, why they also want to be part of this project is to help local farmers in our home countries to do good and uh, help them contribute to slowing down climate change and removing carbon from uh, circulation, getting it back into the soil and keeping it there. And so they have committed to purchase the first uh, few thousand credits coming out of the pilot farmers uh, this summer. And uh, then we plan to scale over summers as we get to the harvest that after this summer's harvest, uh, a larger number of farmers would switch practices, having joined the program. And then a year from now, we can deliver the first carbon credits uh, from this larger group. Uh, initially, in Poland, Estonia, and uh, Latvia, and we're targeting um, a couple of hundred farms and uh, over a hundred thousand uh, hectares of uh, grain land in this broader group as we go now.
0: And what do you see maybe for Robin what as you're targeting specific farms what is the criteria and what are the practices you let's say I'm imagining with the farmers are changing or how do you to help them speed up and thus capture more like what are the main things that are different from the rest of the farmers you're working with
1: Yeah, well, that's a very interesting question because if you talk about carbon offsetting and carbon credits then one of the challenges but it's it's really okay challenge and uh, I think a positive problem to have still is that it's for good farmers, it's very hard to produce carbon credits. So farmers who already capture carbon, carbon credit in essence is something that has to be additional. So uh, no one should support, if they want to offset their emissions, then they
0: shouldn't support something that already happens. It should be additional activity. So you need to work with the farmers that are not doing any of this or otherwise I've seen a picture somewhere. Saying, ah, you're only paying, I think it was in the US, like as a joke, but it's somehow true. I've been no-till and rotational for the last 15 years. Ah, And I'm not part of, cannot be part of this program. Let me get my carbon decapture machine, aka the plow. And let's just plow everything and start over, which is of course what you don't want. Like that's the risk we are all running. So how do you get around that?
1: Exactly. And that was a big challenge. We thought like many ways how we can, like, should we maybe put some of the credits aside that farmers are generating and give it just to farmers who already do good. And well, there were many thoughts that we had, but in the end, then we found or understood that there are other ways how farmers can benefit from the carbon program. For example, selling low carbon crops. We are not offering this today. But in the future, that's one of the things that we want to start offering, Uh, that farmers, for example, my father, who is growing climate positive crops, so capturing more carbon than he's emitting with activities, so that he could get higher price for the grain that he's selling. But at the same time, if there is a farmer doing a change in activities and starting capturing more carbon now, then this farmer has a choice. Either he or she can sell carbon credits away, and then the farm balance would be a negative again. Or he or she can get a higher price for grain. So it's very important to avoid double counting as well, because otherwise, let's say the big food company would say that their scope three emissions are zero. All farmers are carbon neutral. But at the same time, these farmers are selling their credits away to Shell, big oil company, let's say. And they say that, hey, we are also carbon neutral. So that's something that we have to avoid. So in this sense, after understanding this, then we uh, feel now that it's the model really works. So those farmers who do already good can benefit from getting higher price for the grain or even some other benefits as well. And those farmers who are in the beginning of this journey of going climate positive, they can choose if they want to get higher price for the grain or sell their credits.
2: You know, I just wanted to add that this is also the way, so there's a permanence concern that is often asked. So, you know, how do you know what is being put back in stays there forever? I think that's the, the definition of a carbon credit, an offset, so that it needs to be a permanent change. And one way of ensuring that is to continue. So let's say we have the 10-year project timeline with farmers. They establish their baseline and they apply new practices, start creating... um creating change, they will be on a different trajectory. Then the 10 years is over, last uh, of their carbon offsets or removal units have been paid to them. What happens then? And uh, what, you know, how do we manage the risk of them not falling back to some old practices and for example, plowing again? And that, the same thing that Robin talked about, good farmers today will also apply in the future that we can work with those farmers then 10 years from now to continue sustainable practices beyond the life of the carbon project and uh, they will then be able to benefit from these sustainably farmed options where uh, companies will have demand to purchase their crops and uh, reward them for the good practices especially ten years from now this must be much more of a norm than it is today
0: sorry the carbon paying is really a transition phase and we all need to work on making sure that the market of of ingredients of produce etc starts rewarding low carbon or even carbon positive crops and that's the long-term carrot basically to keep everyone going apart from lower costs and all the other incentives that hopefully makes the farm much more efficient and effective but there it needs to come from the market at some point where they sell into which is something you can start building and probably are like how do you connect the best ingredients the best quality the best flavor but also the best carbon balance of a ton of grain, basically, to a market buyer that is interested in that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, some activities still will be considered as additional even after 20 years. Some, some activities that wouldn't be profitable without carbon credits. But the goal is that after, let's say, well, three to five years, we can arrange a very big party where every shot that you take will capture also carbon. So imagine this, how, how good people would feel uh, parting over
0: there. Uh, and how drunk they would get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just an idea, what what's your, like the farms you work with now with a few thousand hectares, what are you seeing in terms of, with this primary, like the first phase in terms of capture potential? What do you see per hectare? Very different circumstance, I imagine, but just as a range. We talked about ranges before, but what do you see as a range? What is possible? Because we see very different numbers around What have you seen in the field that is actually doable?
2: Yeah, we've uh, modeled many scenarios now and worked in detail with these first farmers. And what we are seeing is the range is somewhere between... It really depends where the farmer is coming from, like what his baseline is. And uh, it's something between um, half a ton per hectare per year to um, one and a half to two tons, uh, depending on uh, which practices he's already applying. And then... In addition to creating carbon credits or carbon offset units, most farmers also benefit from reduced amount of inputs. So they will be um, using less fuel, so fewer passes across the field. So there's some fuel savings and there some savings from um, optimizing fertilizer use. And we see it's roughly 80-20. So about 80% of the benefit for the farmer is uh, coming from the carbon removal units and then 20% from reduced input costs.
0: And do you see that happening and changing over time as well? Like if they're reducing, is there any difference between, let's say, very advanced ones that are have been working the soil for a long time in a different way? Maybe like your father, Robin, that, that is already carbon positive because I think he's been farming organic and beyond organic for a long time. Do you see that like in this co- that cohort that you're working with? Like the more extreme ones are different there, or what have you seen in the field with this few pilot farms so far?
1: Yeah, well, if the time goes on and a farmer is continuing farming it this way, then they will see that there are many other benefits as well that it's harder to prove in paper.
0: The biodiversity piece, and yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So let's say if you eat healthy, then most likely you won't get sick that much, and same is true with the field and. But it's really, well, it's difficult to prove those benefits on the paper, but it's uh, easier to prove at first benefits like, uh, hey, you are reducing your fuel that much or red clavier is capturing that much nitrogen and you don't have to, you can reduce the amount that you're putting again, saving some money, and then we will pay this amount additionally. And that's helping farmers to make the change. That's actually something to be taught as well, that the. So current carbon programs, the contracts that we are signing with farmers are 10-year contracts. So that's a 10-year period. And for the first period, additional activity is whatever activity that farmer wasn't doing previously. So if farmer wasn't doing it, then it's considered additional. But after this 10-year period, additional activities will be only, well, something that farmer didn't do even this last 10-year period, and those that wouldn't be profitable without carbon program, because during this period, we want to prove that actually several activities were, are profitable anyways for farmers.
0: Even without the carbon piece. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. But it's still additional because without this extra benefit from the carbon program or extra money or extra income, those farmers wouldn't be willing to make this change. They couldn't afford or they wouldn't hire someone like e to guide them because With every farmer, we have also, we give them agronomical advice, how they can make this change and to make sure that they benefit from this. And they probably wouldn't be willing to take the risk as well, because with every risk, like every farmer has, well, average person has 40 years career and farmers as well. But the difference is that farmer is getting feedback only once a year. So imagine if you would do podcast only once a year, how much would you consider before every question and everything you would say. So that's the situation that farmers have. And that's why they're that risk averse. But this carbon program helps them to make this change. And then after 10-year period, they will find out that, hey, we should continue those because they are profitable anyways. And
0: do you see, let's say any, uh, this ties perfectly in the risky part, let's say the more, the more risky or the more adventurous pieces of carbon farming, which you see in other places as well, like integration of animals, Uh, very diverse cover crop mixes, like 15, 20 types we've seen around maybe integration of trees as well into the fields. Is that something you imagine maybe in year eight or year 12 of the program with some adventurous farmers? Are people already asking about that? Like, is this going to enable some farmers that want to and are ready, obviously, to take those kind of risks? Is that something you're thinking of or are we not there yet?
1: I think it really depends on the farmer, but it's not considered, we don't have this in the financial plans, our, our own financial plans, but I personally believe that once farmers see the benefits from the Karma program, then they uh, want to go more and more at uh, this path. So uh, using plants in the fields and so on, this is something that we want to, for sure, research and offer to farmers. Right now, we are obviously doing like simple things, reduce plowing, use cover crops, and maybe something extra, but once farmers see benefits and see that hey, did that really worked, then probably they're ready for the next step as well.
0: And do you imagine any kind of let's say farming competition, like between different farms, who can do the fastest build-up of soil carbon without cheating and obviously getting a lot of outside fertilization into or a lot of manure or a lot of compost?
1: That question uh, is straight to the point because I think it's an international format. Soil you're around this. And the format of this competition is that you put um, your underwear, not actually your underwear, that is um, from this specific natural material, you bury it under the soil. And then after a few months, you take it away. And the more it's eaten by bacteria and basically soil animals, the more healthy your soil is. And we started this competition in Estonia and Poland and I think Latvia as well. And you know what's crazy, I th- before this, the hottest competitions in farming were plowing competition, who plows best, the yield competition, who gets most yield out of this. But now that's the hottest competition in farming in our region right now. So randomly, like this, our sales guy posted this in Poland, he was driving his uh, daughter to the school and he heard national Polish radio, nationwide radio, speaking without our initiative actually speaking about this competition that hay and about the importance of soil health and the same things happening in estonia as well media picking it up farmers are sharing that they are barring their own this and so on and that's really really cool to see that the hottest competitions right now in the industry are not anymore plowing or yield but it's soil health that's really cool i
0: will find the link it's really interesting how Something silly, it's almost silly between brackets, can really capture the imagination of farmers. And I've seen it on, people have done it with tea bags as well, to really see, okay, to have an easy measurement or an easy proxy to see how fast does in these days cotton basically break down and does how healthy is my soil. Everybody can do it. It's funny enough to share, but it gets right to the point of how healthy, how alive is your soil. And I think some people will be in, in for a shock and some others will be in for some, a, a nice surprise.
1: Absolutely.
0: And with that, I want to be conscious of your time and talk a bit about the current fundraising round you're doing. Like, what are you? I mean, the reason you shared already, you're you're in a number of countries and you want to expand in those countries. Actually, not necessarily other countries, but in the countries you're already active in. What are you looking for? Like, what have you seen? Talking to a lot of investors over the last months, is it different than a year ago? Is it? uh, What have you? felt basically in all those pitches obviously from a distance because nobody's traveling what has been the interest from the investor world maybe the traditional investor world as well into the topics of soil carbon into the topics of agriculture is there a lot of interest is there we still have to do a lot of work what do you see
1: yeah that's an interesting question because well from one side carbon is very hot and that's something that all vcs are telling as well that hey that's because we are well We are among the first movers in Europe with this as well in agricultural carbon offsetting. And that's really interesting for VCs. Now, at the same time, uh, if we go deeper, then it really depends. The North American investors know much more about this industry, probably because it has been there longer time. And then if we we come to Europe, then that's really exciting. But investors are currently in this learning space that they're wanting reading articles and just uh, trying to understand where are the challenges and what questions to ask and so on. But there is interest, absolutely, but it's in the beginning.
2: Yeah, we as we talk to the funds in our data room, we have a whole section for background reading materials for you. So then where we just keep (laughs) compiling resources for them to get up to speed. And it's a very interesting topic for them, but they need to learn a lot and are looking for more information to understand the space better.
0: And I I can imagine that, I mean, it's great that you're doing all these education to investors, but at some point you would like the investment in the company and not just, you're not an education company, you're a farming company and you need to get going. But it's, I mean, that's the pioneering role as well. Like you're educating probably way more investors than end up investing because they're maybe not comfortable yet with the whole topic. And they it's the first time they hear a lot of things. I'm still amazed, I think for how fast this topic has come to the forefront, but how much mm-hmm. research people have to do to fully grasp it, how many farms they need to visit, how much they have to understand, how they have to read. and and yeah, we're definitely in the early days of that. And so you're currently raising your series. A, can you share a bit more on that?
1: Yeah, we are raising seven million euros. I said before, you, uh, scale in, in some new markets where we have customers, but uh, we don't have local sales force yet to accelerate the carbon program and to scale it. We, we have proven the carbon program with a small scale. And there is actually interesting is that there are actually more interest from the farmer side than we can ourselves physically manage. But now we have to build some more technology behind there that we can scale this part of the business as well. So that's one of the areas. And then, uh, well, the continuous product development as well. But yeah, we are raising 7 million. We have uh, a bit more than 5 million euros committed already, but we are currently in the process of choosing the lead investor. For the lead investor, the main, we have given up this dream that we would want someone who knows more about uh, farming and carbon business than we know. So that's not the
0: main criteria for the invest That slot is not available anymore for anybody listening. So yeah. if they think they know more, they can get in touch. But you've given up that dream. But so what are you looking for now?
1: Yeah, so but but we are looking mainly for well for VCs who help us to secure the series B round. So uh, who want to invest in series A. They want to follow on in series B as well and get us find the tables of really top notch investors over there. We have some great commitments already, like uh, founder of a former record, TransferWise. Now it's called WISE. I'm a customer,
0: yeah. They, cha- they change the names over time. Yeah. But yeah. a very, very yeah. interesting company.
1: Unicorn, uh, I think yeah. they're valued at $3 billion or so. Well, actually more. There are rumors about IPO and so on, but another topic. And obviously, they will help with this exact topic as well. But uh, yeah, looking for lead. And then... From the following investors so that's why we have actually quite a many following commitments we try to choose vcs from different markets that are interesting for us because we see that even if these vcs are not necessarily like with farming background they still have access better access than we have to local media and some local contacts and so on and that's really helpful
0: yeah so you don't have to rely only on burying underwear to get on the radio which is a great way but still yeah
1: it is it is a great way
0: so i i want to be conscious of your time and thank you so much for this update i think there a lot has happened in six months or less actually and very excited for your carbon program and programs coming over the next years and obviously for all the work you have been doing and like the farming season has started which means you're growth season in terms of new farmers has stopped but now you have to serve all the farmers that are in the field planting monitoring modeling and all of that so i wish you a lot of luck with that thank you thanks cool if you would like to learn more on how to put money to work in regenerative food and agriculture find our video course on investing in regenerative agriculture.com slash course this course will teach you to understand the opportunities to get to know the main players to learn about the main trends and how to evaluate a new investment opportunity, like what kind of questions to ask. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my membership community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on cambro.com slash egg or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.